When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach. I am the president of Transworld Business Advisors of Naperville. I am one of eight Transworld Business Advisor offices here in Chicagoland. Transworld Business Advisors is the largest business brokerage in the world uh, of its size. We have 280 locations throughout the world. And as I said, I'm one of eight. When I started this about six years ago, I was one of two. So we are rapidly growing. And uh, our uh, main focus is to assist business owners Uh, In terms of going to the next level, whether it be to uh, sell their business and get top dollar or perhaps go on to acquire others and continue the uh, the legacy that they've established. Today, I'm delighted to have a guest by the name of Jonathan Goldhill. Uh, He is a business coach and uh, he has some experiences that has caused him to be who he is and where he is today. So, Jonathan, I'm going to introduce you and uh, have you tell your story about who it is you are, where you are today, and uh, we'll then begin after that. Thanks, Steve. So, I grew up in New York. My grandfather and his brothers had started a very, what grew into being a very large, successful men's clothing manufacturing company. It really made its heyday in the 50s and, and 60s. Um, actually, even in the 40s, making suits for the uh, army. And my father, who was a stepson, went into the business after having attended Yale Law School, top of his class, hated practicing law, decided to become a clothing salesman, traveling the country, selling uh, men's suits. And lo and behold, um, he had a heart attack. 13 days later, I was born. Two years later, he had a massive coronary and came back in a box from Greece where he had been vacationing with my mom, her childhood sweetheart. Those were life-changing events for me, Stephen. And I always knew, you know, that basically there was something missing in my life and that staying healthy and being fit would be a lifelong commitment. Um, As I approached 20, uh, my family had quite a bit of success. Um, I had a little bit of money in my pocket. Um, I had enough of a sort of a giving, loving mother who, when I told her that I was going to go to California uh, to go to school, she said, okay, but like, when will you be back? And uh, 
I said, I, you know, I don't really know. I, I guess sort of um, I didn't know that I was coming back and I never did. Really, I moved to California at the age of 20, kind of in search of my own freedom. And I bumped into some different businesses along the way that I got involved with helping to run, helping to grow um, a nonprofit that I grew quite successfully that provided business consulting, entrepreneurial training, and small business financing. We took that from three to almost 40 people and from nothing in assets, a $10,000 loan that we borrowed from the Chamber of Commerce, um, turned it into a $4 million business with 10 million in assets and became nationally recognized. And uh, I did all that having gotten my MBA from the University of Southern California in entrepreneurship and management consulting, knowing that I really wanted to work with small businesses, not really thinking about them as family businesses per se. But when I came to realize most of my clients are family businesses and most of them are in unsexy industries. And yeah, I've worked in tech and I've worked with software as a service and I've worked in some businesses that I just didn't understand whatsoever. The businesses that I really loved were businesses that I understood they were service-based, they, many of them were in the construction, maybe manufacturing, and many of them were family-based businesses. They were in unsexy industries. And so my coaching has evolved over the last 20 years, but principally I provided you know, coaching, consulting, advising, training, and years ago, financing to small businesses. And, and today it's a business that basically gives me a lifestyle that I can travel the country, the world. My clients are all over the United States. I can do through Zoom these types of uh, conversations and meetings, and I can coach them with where they're at based on where they want to go. If they're in a sweet spot, you know, for me, once they get over a certain size, uh, I typically find that they might need someone like me, but they probably need someone who's had more corporate more, uh, you know, bigger business background. I play really well with companies that are 15 to 150 employees. And since that's most of the businesses in the United States, it's a really big market. Well, I totally agree with you. And most people would think that the big corporate names are the mainstay of the United States business. And it's really not because uh, 80 to 90% are small businesses. But you had a very moving and life-changing experience with what happened to your family and the family business. But let's rewind the videotape a little bit prior to that. Let's go back to your formative years. Uh, if you can remember back in the days when you're, you know, single digit age and uh, maybe riding your bike down the street and in grammar school, what was going through your mind back then as to what you really wanted to do then? Gosh, I mean, I was just clueless about what I wanted to do. People, I remember I was a jokester back in those days, probably losing not just one father, but losing a second father when I was eight and a half who died of Hodgkin's disease after a three-year marriage to my mother. It made me kind of uh, like a practical joker kind of a guy. And I remember, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I used to be like, I, wa I want to be a fire truck. I mean, I just, I was like, I was emotional, but I was that stone cold about like what really was my ambition. But I found my calling pretty early in life. I found that I always wanted to be really helpful. I'd wait outside my older brother's door when he was not feeling well or, or if he had closed his door because he was locking me out, basically. And I'd wait for him to say, 
I need this or I want that. And, and I, you know, I was a gopher. I'd go for this. I'd go for that. And I helped the guy with the newspaper business, you know, who I would substitute when he wasn't there. I had a lot of odd jobs that I made different kinds of money at, but I always noticed that, you know, the one common theme was there was always like what I call the leading blocker. And that in this case would be the entrepreneur and that I was the person behind them that would do all the cleanup management maintenance, you know, uh, because I just could take something that someone else had had the vision for. I didn't think I was a guy who had vision, but I thought it was a guy who had great execution implementation skills. I remember uh, about 10 years ago, I was in therapy after a divorce and uh, I was talking about challenges with my teenage daughter and my then wife. And my therapist said, you know, I think uh, what you've learned and done most of your life is you over-functioning for other people. And that's when I realized that as a coach, that's part of what I was doing. I was helping people who weren't that functional, be more functional and doing it for them a little bit. And so it was kind of interesting, but that really that calling from an, a young age of wanting to like help my older brother and help the guy with the newspaper route and so many other stories like that, uh, where I realized I'm like the CEO whisperer. I'm the guy who, you know, they need someone to talk to. I'm that guy. I'm that business therapist. You can talk to me, you can vent, you know, and I'm a good, good listener. I crack a smile while you're saying that, not because I uh, think what you're saying is comical, but I find that so many of the business owners that I meet with don't do what you do or don't provide what you provide. Many of these entrepreneurs think that they have to go it alone. And in fact, they really don't. There are many others out there that are exactly like them that could use an, uh, you know, a couple of insights from others who have quote been there, done that. There's a lot we're going to talk about here. And uh, I found it most fascinating that a lot of your website has numbers and letters and easy remembering things. So you have 12 questions to determine financial health. And I will tell this audience that I already took it and scored at 83%. But I will tell you, if I took it maybe two years ago, I would be well below 50%. And there's a lot of things. Those questions in there are very, very simple, but are overlooked by many business owners. So what do you want to tell me about the 12 questions to determine your financial health? Well, I tell you that it's basically a test tool that I'm using. I'm really in the process of wanting to create my own tool for testing someone as a disruptive successor. Are they, do they have what it takes? Um, I came across this scorecard. It's an app. I'm using it. It's having some interesting results. I think these are really basic questions. And I think the questions, as I recall, you'll, you'll, you'll remember better than I, cause you just took it, but it's, you know, it's like, what do you have in the way of financial data and scorecards? Um, how readily available? How often do you look at it? You know, do you trust the, the data? This is what's so important. I find that so many of my clients, I spend the first year helping them to trust their numbers better. And that means first looking at the numbers, developing a relationship with the numbers, just like they're you know, an employee or a set of employees, because numbers don't lie if at least if they're well-constructed, but a lot of times my clients don't have well-constructed numbers. So it's about bringing some financial talent in there that you find uh, is trustworthy and it's going to give you good data because a lot of important decisions are born out of data, 
not just gut feel, you need a combination, but the data will tell you, you know, how much money you're making. And if you want to benchmark your company against other companies, and then you want to internally benchmark your company against, you know, what would be a high watermark and a low watermark and, and how to raise the bar, then you've got to know your numbers. You've got to trust in them. Absolutely. So that's what I tell you about that scorecard. Yeah. So KPIs, key performance indicators are critical to everything, no yep. matter what, whether you're playing sports, whether you're going on a diet, you have to monitor something to determine how well you're progressing. Correct. And that, but I would encourage people, and you'll talk about it later, to go to your website and take that uh, take that test, and uh, yeah. you'll be amazed as to what your numbers are. But it's always good to take one as a benchmark and then do it a few years or maybe a few months later yes. and determine how you're moving forward. So that's excellent. Yeah. So there's a couple of other things I want to talk to you about. So you have what you call the seven P's playbook. Now, I have four C's that I used to use when I was in investor relations. You had to be the CEOs of the publicly traded company how to be clear, concise, competent, and convincing. Tell me about your seven Ps and how that applies to building a better business. Yeah, so I wanted to put a playbook or a framework in front of people um, who are going to be reading the book. And it just was a container for the different ideas that I had. So I worked with someone who was coaching me on, on putting together the book. And he's like, you know, I got this six Ps framework. And then I thought, well, let me look at this. And I changed it up and I came up with my seven P's. And then I had a guest who said, I think you missed an eighth P. And so, you know, it was like, you know, Stephen Covey wrote the seven habits. And then like a few years later or 10 years later, wrote the eighth habit. So my P's are, you know, fairly simple to any business, which is first, you have to have a why. And that's a purpose. Like, why are you in the business that you're in? You could be in any other business. Why this business? And what do you hope to achieve in this business? And, and tell me it's going to be something more than just making a profit, because that's an outcome, that's a result, but that's not a why, right? When someone says, well, you know, when I'm, if I was coaching a, a young adult and they were going to go get a job and I mean, like, you know, okay, all you can do is make $15 an hour. Well, I mean, you could flip burgers, you could dig ditches, you could do a lot of things. You know, what do you feel is your calling or your purpose? So I think it's super important that people know what their why is and engage their people in their why. And then obviously planning, you know, no business coach would be um, any good without having some kind of a plan in place. Where are we going? We may not get there. We may go in a different direction, but at least having a plan allows us to think through the next steps. And we have to have priorities also. Priorities are going to really help us to figure out what matters the most now and what's needed next, and then next, and then next after that. And everyone should have a set of priorities that align with the plan, right? And then performance, which is one of my P's, is basically your KPIs. And this is a combination of leading and lagging indicators, lagging being things that ended up on the balance sheet or the income statement, like your gross profit, your net profit, your cash balances, your equity balances, your ratios, but then also leading indicators. You know, how do we know what we're doing today is going to have the kind of result that we want that's going to end up on the balance sheet or the income statement? So performance is another P. People. People is probably the biggest P because you've got to recruit You've got to retain, you know, you've got to be able to attract the right employees. You have to be able to provide some kind of performance 
measurements and evaluations to let them knowing that they're doing really well. So no framework for a small business would be good without the P's. So those are just a highlight of a few of them. You can go to my website, you can download some free tools and you can get the seven P's framework, which is all explained in the introductory chapter that's available for download. And I did download that. You know, the other P, and I'm not sure if it's one of your seven, but we in business brokerage and real estate, we have another P that's paramount and we do this monthly and that's called the pipeline Mm. because know what's in the system that's going to generate the revenues for success down the road. And then yeah. as you as you demonstrated right there, being parched is a P that you got to take care of on a real-time basis, and you're doing that right now. So thank you. you. Uh, so the other thing I want to talk to you about, too, and, and, you know, this is kind of interesting because we're just coming out of COVID, and your next item that you uh, talk about is three innovations. And I would argue, and maybe you'd agree, uh, I'm sure you would agree, but Innovation has always got to happen because um, going in and coming out of COVID-19, there are certain paradigms that may have shifted because of that. And innovations are critical to success, particularly with technology and things of that sort. Tell me about the three innovations that you describe on your website. Yeah. So um, I think in this section, we're talking about the products. And that's one of the P's in my book. And so and my products could be products or services. If you're really going to build a sustainable business, if you're going to be what I call that disruptive successor, and don't get me wrong, like if you're a founder or an owner of a business, you want a disruptive successor. You want someone who's going to take what you've built and make it better. And to make it better, like you might have to break it a little bit or you bend it so that you can innovate, right? If you just continue to do the same thing, and you don't grow, then you're going to die. All things must grow. I mean, I guess, you know, things like screws and nuts and bolts, they're pretty static, pretty commoditized, but eventually they do change, right? Salt and sugar used to be pretty commoditized when we were growing up. Now there's like so many different kinds of salt and so many different kinds of sugar and different kinds of sweeteners. So you've got to stay relevant. And so one of the innovations is looking at your product, or your service and asking yourself and asking your customers, um, your stakeholders, you know, is this the most current form of product or service? Is this meeting our clients or customers um, or patients needs? Do they need something different? Do they want something different? Let's get feedback. So product innovation, super important. Another one that's really going to be important in terms of innovation is your business model. You know, how do you deliver your business? Many times, certain businesses, certain industries, a lot that I work in construction trade, you're going to go out to the house or to the place of business or to the building, and you're going to do your investigation, your repair. But, you know, have you done some things to speed up that process? Um, Do you use technology? Do you use cameras? Do you use uh, systems to measure things? There was a landscape company that used to take uh, six weeks to be able to get out to see a customer, to give them a quote. And then when they discovered certain tools, and I'm going back many years, but literally like Google Earth, Google Maps, where they could go out and almost survey the property remotely. Like one of my clients is a landscaper today, and he's working with a tool that can do completely remote measurement 
of a property, you know, so you could do a bid within 20 minutes instead right. of, you know, six weeks. That's a game changer. Absolutely. Mm. So that's another really important uh, innovation. So I think I talked about a business model. I talked about uh, product or service innovation. Stephen, I can't remember what the third innovation was. Was the other one technology? I think technology is definitely one, and maybe I made it a separate one, but yeah. it plays throughout the whole business because you use technology to improve the customer experience and customer service to manage the operations, the project, the delivery, uh, distribution, all that stuff is done through technology. And, uh, and obviously technology has played a major role in, you know, financial record keeping transactions that are done no longer are done. I mean, I don't remember the last time I put an envelope in the mail uh, with, with, with a check or, you know, paid a bill like that. You know, technology has changed things. And if you're not staying up on that stuff, then you're falling behind and you're, you're becoming less efficient. So I, I can agree with that. I have a 30-year-old son who has a checking account. He's had it for 10 years. He's never written a check in his life. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't get a Venmo app, I would still have an outstanding account receivable balance for my son. That would have been huge if he didn't, if I didn't learn how to accept payments via Venmo, but technology does enhance it. The other thing too, is that, uh, you know, drone photography and real estate, that's critical to uh, mapping out what, what your listings look like. I mean, that wasn't around 10, 20, 30 years ago. My goodness. Uh, it would be a totally different ball game. And so we're going to switch, you know, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. You got it. So a couple of things I just want to kind of run by real quick. So obviously you're a business coach and you obviously give advice to your clients, but what was the biggest piece of advice you got up until including where you are today? So as you're going through the course of your career development and you're a successful business coach and you're an author and uh, you, you're on a number of podcasts, I mean, you clearly have subject matter expertise, but what was a, a piece of advice that stands out in your mind that really had an impact on you? I'm not sure how coachable I was when I was younger, Stephen. So that advice might not have come from an individual. Yeah. I was, again, not having a father, losing my stepfather, being kind of self-driven or driving or beating to my own drum. The advice probably came from a, a book, maybe a set of speakers, motivational speakers or authors or, or other who were doing the same. And it was do what you love and the money will follow. Um, I think it was the title of a book. I'm sure it's been the title of many of motivational speak uh, uh, um, talk. And I think for me, um, I remember some people have said, God, I can't believe you made a living out of doing this, or I can't believe you figured out, you know, how to do all this stuff and, and make a business out of it. I mean, I really believe in this. And I think I remember my roommate whose father was a very well-known coach of a prominent NCAA basketball uh, team. And he said, uh, his father had taught him, he said, you know, if you do what you love, you'll do it often. If you do it often, you'll do it well. And if you do it well, you'll be well rewarded. And so I, I think that was, that was it. It was kind of like, you know, follow your bliss, follow, do what you love to do. So it's funny. You mentioned that there was someone that I know in my local networking circles who posted something on Facebook 
And her comment was that if you're doing, if you're doing something that you love, then you'll never have a, a bad feeling about Monday morning. Because if you thoroughly enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't matter what day it is. But for those of, of others that are caught in this so-called corporate grind where, you know, going to work is a chore, something you have to do to kind of enjoy life. If you're an entrepreneur and doing exactly what you love, there would be that, there would not be that Monday morning, you know, feeling where you just don't want to get up and go at them. So, I And that's, a, that's an important if, because I think a lot of the people that come to me or have come to me over the years, they've gotten to a stage where they're frustrated. Their business isn't what it could have been, should have been. Um, in some cases, their entrepreneurial dream has warped into a bit of a nightmare. And those aren't obviously my favorite clients to deal with. But the ones who really have a, like a vision for making this something that is an enjoyable journey, that's a great experience. But not everyone has that opportunity because sadly, they became an entrepreneur maybe by default, not by design. They fell into something. They inherited something. They started something, and it got out of wildly beyond their control to uh, or ability to experience it or manage it in a positive way. And I think that's what coaches can be here for: is one, it's let's put a playbook in place so that you can rest your mind at ease that there's a structure that we're following and we're going from A to B or here to there. And then let's start putting processes in place and let's put profitability back in into uh, the model so that you're making money and you're enjoying it. So I would assume that the advice that you got many years ago is the same advice you give going forward or is that different? I don't know that anything's changed. Yeah. So what, what are the three initial questions you'll ask any new client that comes to you that's looking for help in terms of, uh, you know, taking themselves to the next level? What are kind of like the three common things that you focus on that seem to be overlooked by most business owners? What would you say that is? So one of the first questions is, and I like to ask this, but I don't always ask it, which is kind of like, like, why are we talking? <laughs> why are we here right now? Like what's going on in your world that's led you to have this phone call or this Zoom meeting with me? What's what's missing? What's broken? What's not, you know, what's working? What's not? And so that's a series of questions probably beyond this is the one. The second one is kind of like, and it's related is what do you want? You know, do you have a vision? What does it look like? Um, can you Can you describe to me what it is that you want that you don't have? And a third question might be, and it sounds a little salesy, but you know, what's, what's been stopping you? Why don't you have it? What haven't, you know, why hasn't it, why hasn't what you've tried before worked or, or what haven't you tried? And, and then, you know, have you ever worked with a coach before? That's a pretty common question too. So what do you find is the most common denominator, if you will? So of all the clients, and it's in the thousands, I think I read on your website, you've talked to a thousand entrepreneurs. What seems to be the common common stumbling block for most of your clients? What do you think that is? I think uh, people come to me because they get stuck and they're stuck and they don't really know how to get to where they need to get to. They don't know how to get to the profitability in some cases. I common, a common refrain is, we I just don't have the right people. Another one is, 
I wish I had better processes so that people were more efficient. So I, I think uh, people, processes, profitability. I mean, I sort of think that a little bit, I'm a little bit like Marcus Lemonis on the profit. And that's, those are his three P's. And people come to me for those same type of thing. They might be fighting. They might be stuck. They might be just don't know how to get out of their own way, or they just don't, they, they don't know what they don't know. And they're looking for something that's going to help them unlock their future so that they can get somewhere they want to go to faster. Absolutely. So unfortunately we're reaching about the end of our time slot here. So is there anything that uh, I asked that uh, we didn't answer? Or is there any other item you want to mention for our audience that we might've overlooked? All right. I think if you're interested in building a better business, my question would be is, do you have a plan? Do you have a roadmap? And do you have a guide? I think having a guide, a mentor, a coach, whatever you want to call them is really important. And if you don't have one um, and you think that I might be able to help you, I'd love to chat with you. But like, ask yourself, like, what's your roadmap? What's your game plan? Call it your business plan. Call it your strategic plan, whatever. And do you have it written down? Have you shared it with others? Um, is it alive and well? Like, do people, are people buying into it? You know, that's the work that I do with my clients is help them develop that roadmap, share it with others, get them putting a paddle in the, in the, you know, an oar in the water and rowing the boat in that direction so that they're all part of it together. So I'm going to assume that all that you've experienced was the impetus behind your disruptive successor book. Is that right? And uh, 100%. Is there anything else you want to mention about the book before we kind of end the program here today? No, I think, I mean, it's, it's written for next generation leaders in family businesses, but it's really any entrepreneur's guide to scaling up a, a company. It's based on a few other books um, that I'm projecting on the screen here that I've read that, you know, from the E-Myth to Scaling Up to Traction, uh, these are all books, you know, built to sell that are about becoming a more strategic business owner, which is another one of the books I think in that um, yeah. in behind me. And so, you know, if you're looking to take your business to the next level, do you have a roadmap and do you have a, someone to help you guide you there? Yeah. So I see traction behind you and I've read that book and I've actually been a part of seminars that are focused on that book. But one of the critical things in that, and I think you'll agree with me, is that you've got to do this on a regular basis. You can't just say, here's my plan and then go and do it. You have to say, here's my plan and monitor your progress as you go over time. I mean, and things yep. change. Yep. It's a regular, the meeting rhythm that we've established with our clients is once a quarter and then annually taking a day or two days to plan out the business and then monthly check in with how you're doing on that quarterly plan. Are you making the progress? Uh, are you achieving the milestones that you had set out to achieve? That's what matters. That's what's important. It's a rinse and repeat process. And then you introduce some new tools to look at what's our strategy. What's our competitive differentiation. Are we clear on our, who our core customer is, you know, are we living our core values? Are we, you know, all these things that need to check in on a regular basis to make sure that they don't get forgotten and unchecked off your checklist. 
Absolutely. So last but not least, Jonathan, where do we go find out more information about you? Your website? Uh, the, best place, the best place would be to go to my website, thegoldhillgroup.com. There you can find my book. There you can find my podcast. You can find videos, blogs, and you can connect with me. And uh, that's the best place, the Gold Hill Group. Sounds good. Hey, Jonathan, thanks so much for your time. Audience, thanks for listening. Check out Jonathan's website. There is plenty of insightful information there to help you build a better business. And thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Take care. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.